0: to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And tonight we're talking about part five, a big night out.
1: Well, part one of part five, a big night out. It is going to be a very big night out.
0: Shall we just jump right on in to chapter 20?
1: Yeah, I can't think of any awkward life stuff to talk about. No, me neither.
0: So chapter 20, the chapter or the Bear Staff papers, and I awkwardly put a post-it note on top of a different post-it note. And I tried to lift up the first post-it note to look at them and I couldn't. So it's a good thing I wrote down what
1: they were. That's what I was like, I'm missing something and it's uh, my book's not open. That's what I'm missing. So that's good.
0: (laughs) We are prepared.
1: Oh, wow. And it's even like, which book do you want to read? Like maybe the one I had open a minute ago. How about that one?
0: Do you have a Kindle or are you on like a, like a, uh, tablet of some kind
1: i have a kindle but i just uh use the uh, the app in the computer and just switch Uh, screens as we're recording so i just my screen is just the kindle with my notes in it
0: that makes sense because i would hate taking notes on a kindle
1: oh yeah i don't i don't do that i just uh i do it on the keyboard
0: so we open with lucy uh insisting that we that we that they destroy the skull. And Lockwood immediately saying yes. But is that really practical?
1: <laughs> they can, their oven's not big enough. George has already gone over this. They they can't do that.
0: Yeah. And they can't take it to the furnaces now because people have questions.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 There's no way to do it. Um, I love that she is so upset by Skull. It fits right in with. All of my symbolic nonsense reading mm-hmm. about, like, this is her dark side. She's trying to suppress it. She's trying to protect all of her notions. But, like, in the real actual fantasy world that we're in, she just wants to kill it because it tried to kill her. So, like, the motivations all make sense on every level.
0: But can you imagine if they had gotten rid of Skull here? Like, at least they wouldn't have her best friend.
1: uh Ugh the it would be such a huge blow to the series. He's so good. I'm excited for book three. Skull. I love that he just makes fun of her. He's like, "Oh dear, temper, temper." <laughs> he's just, he's not impressed.
0: No, he's uh he's just a little garbage boy, but a ghost. <laughs> I couldn't it's say the ac- the other word I was thinking because I-, I know we don't care about swearing, but that would have taken it a step too far. Yeah. Oh, but this is um. The big point here is that this is during the day. And I've, I'm i unsure if we've gotten that before. Skull, um, a skull being a activity ghost during the day.
1: Yeah. It it even talks about like the sunlight glinting off the silver glass of the case and everything. Yeah. And he's still able to communicate. So,
0: yeah. So interesting point. Although, I, I, I don't know. I still think that Stroud just messed up and then was like, well, I guess we're just going with it.
1: <laughs> he does explain it later I think in the next book he explains it but it does feel a little retconny but it doesn't matter because no I don't I don't care skull is so good I don't care it's fine I mean I kind of makes sense I don't know it doesn't matter but we can talk
0: about it when we get to the explanation which as you said yeah. we think is in book three anyways it, it yells at them and says some mean things for a bit and then Lucy asks it nicely for information and it says no and leaves so it's great <laughs> Uh, and then we have this bit where Lockwood says, "Now, now we've got to our ta- detach ourselves from it. You most of all uh, to Lucy. And I just wrote out like, what a fucking hypocrite. <laughs> like he was the one oh, who yeah. got so upset at Lucy before for saying that the skull is bringing up stuff about the door and everything. And I'm like, I if I were Lucy, I would have slapped you right there. Lockwood.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's it's what I kept talking about too, how Lockwood like operates in detachment mode and is like, why doesn't everybody just unplug from their feelings? That's the most efficient way to be. And it's like Lucy can't operate that way. It's not healthy anyway. And it's just yeah. And when it happens to him, he freaks out, too. So like the whole thing is just infuriating. Yep. It's like in the show when he's like. I already apologized for that. And, and he didn't. Like, it, it's the same energy. It's like, I would simply not have emotions about it. That's what I would do.
0: I mean, to be fair, that would be my personal uh plan also. I I would just be like, well,
1: I can feel that later on when I'm alone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's I mean, that is how I operate. Yeah, exactly. Like, but... But and we it's are not significantly
0: good. older than these characters. Yeah. So. Um. So then we find out that Ned Shaw is standing around outside, just watching the place, because Kipps knows that they have the papers from Bear Staff's manor. And I despise Kipps in these chapters. Like, uh-huh. despise. This is about <laughs> where because I've talked about this before. How Tumblr um, spoiled me for the fact that Kipps eventually joins the team. And I, I just I was so sure I must have read that wrong here. Cause he is a little baby fucking asshole.
1: And he's a terrible detective. Like he's just like, oh, we'll just follow them. Like I guess.
0: He must know that his team is inferior, right? Yeah. Like he must know that they have lost law- like even if these underhanded tactics that he uses during these chapters to attempt to get ahead, like A, they still don't work. Well done, Kipps. And B, he must know that 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 is basically admitting that Lockwood's team is better than his.
1: Yeah, I think he just believes that he can outresource him. That he's just going to get to the finish line first. Uh, I don't think that he has any ideas. Kipps himself has any ideas to contribute to it. I think he's just like telling his researcher, like research it up, and telling his strong man, like bully people, you know, to get me to the finish line, like. He's not he's no engine for progress himself. The way that Lockwood is like full of inspiration and good ideas like Kipps is the opposite of that. He's he's just like the most passive leader you could have.
0: I hate him. I He's hate him. terrible. Um, but yeah, so they're just casing the joint, I guess, in case they get a chance to beat someone else up and steal the papers from them, therefore using their own lead against them.
1: Right. Yeah. But Lockwood, like. Knows that. Yes. And yeah, so he's obviously. like, we're not going anywhere. There, I did want to say I kind of let this pass by. I, I didn't realize it um, that when they were talking to Skull that Lucy has this insight mm. where she like remembers. Oh, right. The voice from the house and how the voice of Skull sounds familiar. And she puts two and two together and she realizes that Skull used to work for Bickerstaff And that he was the one who was like, we'll make Wilberforce do it. He loves (laughs) to look in mirrors. And so like, you know, and then Skull's like, wow, incredible. Like you really did figure it out. Um, Who cares? (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I think this is important just in terms of like Skull is not just like a repository of information about, you know, like the afterlife or has insights into ghosts he's specifically tied up in this case that they're doing
0: right my this chapter more than any other makes it very clear to me that were I a part of the team I would be the skull because <laughs> he's so very self-preservation motivated and that's uh yeah that's what I would do but that's also like uh it's quite like secretly desperate to be part
1: of the team hmm yeah that would be me it's true he when now that you say that he really is in these chapters oh my god these kids are just like what if we just fucking risk everything on this and over and over and over uh he really is like <laughs> weirdly like a voice of reason but also like will he will try to get them in trouble but it doesn't put him in any danger himself it's just like amusing to him yeah. if they died. I mean, I wouldn't take it that far personally, but. Yeah, but it's no danger to him. And yeah. he's but he is like, I think we'll see this later where um once there really is like a very direct threat against him, that is what's able to like give Lucy leverage over him. Oh, yeah,
0: he, yeah, yeah, he is yeah. extremely self-preservation motivated. That's why he's a type three. If, yep. if what he
1: says about it is to be believed. So anyway, I drew us. I drew us backwards. Um,
0: Yeah. I don't know where we are. Barnes calls um, about the knife and how they did find a matching one. Right. About the knife that murdered Jack Carver. Sorry. That was like five chapters ago.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. So there was the knife and Jack Carver. I think they took this knife when they took the body away. Yeah. And so Barnes was able to get forensic people to look at it. They matched it to another Moogle dagger. From the 1700s, which Lockwood was like, oh, I would have put it at this day, blah, blah, blah. I, I like that, though. But they're always they always come in pairs, which we talked about before. But the one at the Museum of London is a solitary one from a British soldier who was in uh, another cemetery a couple of years ago that they dug up. And he had this dagger on him. And I do believe that. One
0: is the important part that
1: right they so found this is him a in a cemetery
0: although it doesn't specifically say who dug him up but as we mm. know the ending i think we can make that connection yeah i, I don't know if i'm like would Locke would have made that connection or am i only making it because i know the ending
1: no i think this is definitely like a when you reread it you're like aha
0: uh, okay
1: kind of a thing
0: so we're cool that he didn't ask who dug him up
1: yeah, because I don't think he cares, especially because it's not haunted or anything. That's but, um, true.
0: But you do think Barnes would know. Yeah. And well, OK, I guess Barnes is painted as being kind of He's a dumb. dumb. But you think that he would have made that connection.
1: Right. What would have been better is if he did kind of make the connection and just called them up to be like, hey, I just found this information. I just wanted to confirm. Did you guys dig up this guy? And he had a dagger and they're like, yes. And he's like, great. Just making sure. Goodbye. And then like never put the actual pieces together. <laughs> Just like.
0: He was even talking to Joplin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that seems like something he would do to me.
0: It definitely seems like something Stroud would write for him. Yeah. Um. So then. Oh, I was like, why did I underline this line? But it's when George asks for help with the dishes and Lockwood is like, oh, well, you're almost done. Because Lockwood had just told him to hurry up. And George <laughs> right. is like,
1: well, why don't you help? It's like, oh, I don't want you to finish quicker That that. That's the classic roommate or parent to child thing. I would I
0: would go slower on purpose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if that was me and they refused to help, I'd be like, OK. You can wait another thirty minutes. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> all right, oh, this look, glass is all gonna the water be water
1: drained out. Oh, oh no. No.
0: This glass is gonna be sparkling when I'm done.
1: <laughs> yeah, Lockwood uh, goes off on a really good and I think necessary summary of all the information a couple pages yes uh, i
0: i do like that uh like because it feels like they've been doing a lot but it doesn't necessarily feel like they've gotten anywhere so yeah giving a sum up of where they're at right now
1: is smart i think we also are kind of like changing gears in this set of chapters a little bit because we're gonna go into the ending and so it just really sets the table nicely for like here's all the information we have here are the future goals yeah, that we're looking at and like we're going to it reminds me kind of uh, that maybe this is dumb, but the map scenes that are in the Indiana Jones movies where they just lay out for dummies like me, like here's the, all the exposition and here's the goals of the movie. Did you, did you get it? Here we go. So but it's really helpful
0: where they're traveling and you see the red line on the map, which is mm-hmm. what I thought at first. And I was like, N- No.
1: Wait, what Where they're literally like at a blackboard or something and Right, gotcha. And explaining things.
0: It's been a really long time since I watched an Indiana Jones movie. So I mm. my brain is coming up blank. Um, but at one point, Lockwood does just say, like matter of factly, Winkman has the bone glass. And I'm just like, why why not just tell Barnes this? Like I get that the book would be over if they just let the police do their job. Yeah. But also why not just tell Barnes? Like we connected Jack Carver to this. To this, we don't know who killed him, but Winkman has the bone glass. Dun, it is dun. crazy, and yeah. the, and they would still win the bet, like yeah, and not be in danger again. I get that we wouldn't have a book.
1: I think it's just a glory thing too, right? It's not. I think that he could trust Barnes to execute on that information without a problem. Oh, absolutely! I think he wants to have the bone glass in hand and give it to him.
0: I I believe that of Lockwood's character, I do. But and well, I guess George is compromised currently. Yeah. But Lucy, like somebody would suggest it. I feel like we could just go to Barnes with all this and see what he thinks. And but you can also say that then if Barnes doesn't do anything about it, he would share it all with Kipps. And so that oh,
1: for sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: So that is a risk that maybe they're just not willing to take until they literally have the bone glass. But also Barnes would absolutely raid the place. He is ready for a raid. It's what he wants because he he wants this found so quickly.
1: Yeah, I think Kips would be on the raid team for sure if they did that. So, they, yeah, they don't want that.
0: I guess. I don't know. But I still I would still call that a Lockwood win. Yeah. But maybe anyways, it, it's, it's the, not. A big... I think
1: that's the responsible thing to do. I think that's what he wants them to do. That's why he like folded the two groups together is to like yeah. for that exact kind of scenario to happen. But like Lockwood's just never going to do that. That's just not he doesn't know how to play with others.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And and to be very fair later on, he does more say we suspect the bar- the bone glasses with Winkman. They're not a hundred percent sure. So it's it's like I'm not saying this doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't they just tell Barnes? I'm just I just wanted to discuss it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're not gonna talk about the whole Winkman thing this time, but it does make me think of like in the show, they have that undercover guy uh which is not in the book at all. And it it I've always been like that's pretty weird for like the, we really got to find this thing and it's there and the the guy just didn't tell anyone like that has always felt weird to me.
0: Yeah, like what what do you undercover for? Yeah. That I think that that would bring him down. So I think you're good. You you can call the raid in now. Or something.
1: You know, just like even if you don't want to blow your cover and blow the case, you'd be like hey, that thing you're looking for is here, you know, like something. It's just weird. It's not the point of that character in the narrative. Like, I get that. So it's it's fine. But yeah, I agree that it would. uh, I I'm trying to remember if actually Lucy at any point when we get to Winkman's is like, hey, we don't need to do this. But they do meet Barnes in these chapters with all of the intentions. And we definitely don't talk to him about anything.
0: Mm hmm. Although I like to completely counteract what I said before, they've had not great uh, relations with Barnes in the past. Like if he had done to me what he did to Lucy in book one, I don't
1: yeah, I don't think I'd ever go to him with anything. So and he's an idiot. Yeah. So like it's fair Uh, at this point. I think we're going to we're looking at the actual papers, which they haven't looked into yet, and they can't read them. It's not just the handwriting. It's actually in a language that nobody can read. But luckily there's pictures so they can look at those. And the pictures are pretty creepy, but uh, they are, you know, like sequentially. It's like um, it's like reading IKEA furniture instructions in Chinese, basically.
0: Or like the um, like the, the Sesame Street, how to build a bone glass. (laughs)
1: I love that episode.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've built so much furniture lately that I never want to think about IKEA ever again in my life. (laughs) Anyways, the the bone glass instructions. I do think this is just like, why not? (laughs) If it was going to lay it out anyways, why not just have them be able to read it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I did recently reread this book i don't remember if they get any deeper insight after translating this into like anything i feel like the pictures just do really lay it out but maybe it wouldn't feel authentic if it was just in straight plain english
0: well they could say that there were some pages in whatever language this is and then some that had been translated by bigger staff translated yeah But anyways, I don't think we get any detailed information from it. I think the idea is that Joplin gets it and then knows how to set everything up at the end. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the idea.
1: That's true. And it's really like giving Joplin the inside track on like how the whole thing operates and exactly what it is. And
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely an excuse for Joplin to become to be there and have George tell him that they're going to steal the bone glass, which Mm -hmm. George definitely told him.
1: I do like that in the pictures we get uh like a whole thing about doesn't the it's like a priest or somebody who is like digging up dead bodies, but they are kind of holding off the ghosts uh with a crucifix, I think.
0: It's not an actual priest, they just are holding a crucifix, yeah.
1: Right. And and Lockwood says they're using iron or silver to keep the ghost at bay. And so like In this world, there's some it's like there's some knowledge about the problem and how it operates and this whole thing seemed to work like somebody did this before and it and it worked. Right. And so there's knowledge about the other side and and what's going on and like and it all feels like pretty uh, important for the actual the problem in the story. In terms of, like, what we're seeing here is, like, they go to several corpses and then they get a piece of each of them and put them together. And by doing that, like, by combining the trauma together, they make a trauma Captain Planet. And, like, it, like, you know, makes a super source out of all these individual sources.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I I actually really love the bit where... The drawing is of a man holding a cross, like you said, and Lockwood is just like it's iron or silver because it's just the exact sort of because we can assume that maybe he didn't even have a cross. Maybe it was just a piece of iron, but the way that like folklore and stuff works because he was drawn with a cross. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. really like that. It feels very real.
1: Yeah. Or it could even be like a yeah, like made I like how he projects that oh it must be silver or cuz he knows the cross doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Basically. Yeah.
0: But it also like it just makes sense that that's what it would be drawn as even if he didn't have It has to be. Yeah. yeah. Um but they yes, yeah, so they talk about how um it's not a mirror, it's a window, a window mm. for looking a window to the other side. And I like that this is the first time we've had the other side mentioned as like an actual place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's capital letters, right?
0: Yeah. And they talk about how pulling all these sources together could build, like, a super source that makes... Like, they talk about how one source is a hole for one ghost to cross over and how pooling all these sources together creates a bigger hole, and in this case, a window. But that does lead one to think, what could happen if you pulled even more sources together?
1: Right. Yeah. Because, well, yeah, when when God closes a door, he opens a ghost window.
0: Right. But I just mean a step up from a window is a doorway.
1: Is a doorway. Right.
0: And that is just really great setup.
1: Yeah. That's what I mean is like this whole thing is like, so that you get the idea of this Yeah, because we're going to build on it.
0: Yeah. There's a lot in this book that comes back like two to three books later. And I, I like how he set all that up.
1: Yeah. Uh, and there's also like, I like how the picture shows like, you know, they set up the bone glass on a pedestal and it, it has a person like looking into it. And for the whole time that he was gathering sources, there's like with one source, there's one ghost and then two sources, there's two ghosts. But by the end of it, when he's looking through the bone glass, there's like a multitude of dead people on the other side, kind of looking back. So it's not just that this gathers together, the same amount of people, you know, that he took parts from. It's that you're like, you've looked into a whole universe of, yeah. of death and dead people. So
0: I wonder, this is very spoilery for anybody out there who hasn't read all the books. My apologies. Um, but I wonder if, because we know that now I'm trying to be not spoilery, even if I just were people, but I guess I wonder if you could look into the bone glass, if you were wearing something like the spirit cloaks, mm-hmm. because they, protect people when they're physically on the other side. So you'd think something like that so that maybe not the spirit cloaks in particular, but something could be made to let you look into the mirror.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, and I don't even really understand how the bone glass works. If it's, if it is even like a, a window, I don't understand exactly.
0: You know, that's fair. How actually. That hurts you. I mm. would, I would say definitely in the show, they implied that that's what's happening. You're seeing mm-hmm. the other side even to the point where uh female Joplin is sucked in through it right at the end there.
1: I, you, yeah, you said that when we watched it, I don't know. I've rewatched it many times. I still feel like she exploded. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm wrong. I misunderstood the special effects.
1: No, it's just, I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to interpret it. I wish that, you know, when the show continues that maybe they would explain it, but, uh, but yeah, I, I've always interpreted it as an explosion. But if she exploded, there would be goo. Yeah, I don't know. It's like she turned into ashes instantaneously or something. I don't know.
0: It has been a bit since I watched it. But <clears> anyways, I don't I actually don't remember what happens at the end of this book. So I, I guess I'll maybe have more to say later. Either way, if it is a window, maybe. he. Yeah, that's actually a good point, because maybe bigger staff was trying to make a window, but
1: made something else yeah it's weird um
0: because the the ikea instructions weren't quite right he's like he skipped step 12 so step 56 is nonsense now
1: <laughs> yeah it's uneven he's like i don't know the instructions are bad who knows uh i do like that once they're like it's a window to the other side there's immediately a tapping on their window oh my god and it- i would die <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I would just be like, nope, it's not worth it. I'm dead.
1: They freak out. Yeah. It's a good jump scare. Um, It's really funny the way that she like pauses the narrative and she's like, look, we don't usually freak out. OK, but yeah. this was creepy.
0: Yeah, I can understand people who like very often are in haunted houses, have a bit of a thick skin to jump scares, Uh, but I don't and I would die. <laughs>
1: We do come back to the joke from earlier in the book. Oh, Because yeah. this is so good. Low Bones. <laughs> He's at the window. And uh, George is like, wait a minute. You said she was quiet and refined. And Lockwood's like, did we? I, I don't remember. I don't remember that.
0: I can't believe. I, I just I love this idea that Lucy and Lockwood being at their ultimate sarcastic. And George is just like, oh, OK, cool. Well, he just <laughs> believes them. <laughs> That speaks more, because I I feel like a lot of the times that George gets picked on in these books, it has to do with his looks, but also if he is so gullible as to believe his friend's sarcasm all the time, that does just mean that, congratulations, you get to be the butt of every joke.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, I'm sorry, that's how friendship works.
1: (laughs) If you're a sucker, then we're going to sucker punch you every chance we get.
0: Exactly. I do also love... When George says "flow bones," that's a girl, and I think it's Lucy that says, "We assume so." It's never been conclusively proved. <laughs> that's cutting. Oh, and what a point! <laughs> Lucy says, uh, "Uh, she's easily offended and would probably disembowel you." And George says, "Story of my life."
1: Story of my life. That's and really good.
0: I, I laughed out loud at that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they oh, and make then, sure. Oh, go ahead.
0: Sorry, at the end of that page, Lucy has a bit where she's like, I wonder where Flo uh sleeps and eats and all these things. And I genuinely cannot tell if Lucy is finally like empathizing with Flo or if she's judging her. Like, where does she sleep? What did she do? Like what blah, blah, blah. or if she's saying, like, oh yeah, where does she sleep? And, you know, like I, I cannot get Lucy's tone of voice here. Yeah, I think.
1: Yeah, the audiobook influences me on this. It does seem to be like a moment with a shred of empathy, but it's not like a, not like a, I'm worried about it. It's more of like an idle curiosity, but I'm not gonna, I don't care about the answer very much. Right. Because she just can't, she can't afford to care in that way. I think she's still like in. Trauma response mode and like dealing with her own stuff. And she's she's carrying a heavy load and she's just like, huh, wonder where that girl sleeps and eats and well, whatever. Yeah. Like either way, nothing really comes of it. So. But they do make uh, make sure to make coffee for her. And they tell George to bring lots of sugar with the tablespoon to save time.
0: But basically she is there to tell them that Winkman's auction is on for the next evening at midnight which they do think is very quick. But he's got a mirror, he's got to get rid of before it kills him. And I I think she says that word on the street is people are starting to say it's cursed because everybody ends up dead.
1: Yep, they Lucy asks about like who killed Jack Carver and uh and she's just like she, he died here. That's what I know about it. Nobody knows who did it, but maybe you did it, I don't know. Yeah. We find out the place where the auction's going to be like specifically and the time of the auction, the day of the auction. Uh, so this is all, you know, like again, a flow bones is like mechanically necessary for the advancement of the plot and like finding out the information for the characters. But she is just so dazzling and wonderful. And <laughs> as a character, like, I don't mean like she's elegant or anything like that. I just, am so like, wow, this character is so much cooler than it needs to be to do the job that she does. And it's that's what's delightful about Flow Bones. I love her so much.
0: I enjoy her also. Like, I think she's in the room when Lucy says to get the tablespoon. And, and like, you can just see the look that she gives Lucy.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they also talk here about uh, the river, the tidal river and how it's going to be at high tide yep, and stuff like that. That
0: keeps coming back. Yeah. I I do love the last line of the chapter where Lockwood just says, "Then we're gonna steal the mirror back." And I just wrote <laughs> down, "Dude's crazy."
1: Yeah, literally. <laughs> like, what the fuck? There's no notion of like trying to buy this thing or anything like that. Or no, it's gonna be so much money. I don't, I, I buy that they would have no idea how to buy it, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't trust them to buy it anyway. Yeah, but then. Uh, Lucy remembers, uh, tomorrow night, it's the 19th. Oh yeah. The party. The 19th of June is the Fitz party and they all forgot all about it. As did the reader. (laughs) Right. Uh, so that's why this whole thing is called a big night out because everything's going to be happening on the same night, which is a great way to just like make this as dramatic as possible. It's a really good writing choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much the end of chapter 20. see see had anything else.
1: Nope. Nope. There we move on to chapter 21 where Lockwood and co attend the Fitz ball meet Penelope Fitz and spontaneously decide to break into her personal library.
0: Do you like this better as a spontaneous thing or did or like in the show when where it was a plan?
1: I think this works better than the show.
0: I, I, I do too. I just feel like it's a little clunky.
1: I yeah, we'll talk about it. I think the way that it happens is better, but I don't know if what happens is better
0: oh i I just mean that very specifically, having it be spontaneous versus having it be a plan.
1: No, I think it being spontaneous is really good, but the show has already like made Lockwood so reckless mm. in in that all the stuff around it. It doesn't need to be spontaneous. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I think this is like exactly counter to him, like dressing up like a tourist and things like that. You know what I mean? Right. 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 This is, this is leading up to him being like, yeah, we'll just steal it in a room full of murderous adults who like no big deal, you know, like that's a crazy plan. This is a bad idea.
0: Yeah, agreed. All right. So the chapter on chapter 21 are the relic columns at Pitt's house, um, which so <laughs> creepy. I, uh, I wrote down as the ultimate Chekhov's gun, because <laughs> we don't come back to them until the end of book five, but nice. we will come back to them.
1: Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love the whole idea of them as like, you know, like the hunting trophies on the wall and stuff of yeah, but super rich people. If
0: you put like a a deer head on your wall, it's not going to come. There's no chance of it coming back to life and stabbing you.
1: I don't, it always is so creepy and oh, bizarre to me. Yeah.
0: I'm not saying I'm not coming out in support of having dead taxidermy animals on your wall. That's fucking weird. Yeah. Especially since you murdered them like that.
1: That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Chief, it's really weird,
0: weird. Um, But at least they can't, you know, there's no chance that like unless there's an earthquake and it falls on you and you get stabbed by antlers, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no chance that it's going to kill you. The relic columns are ghosts that they just have on display.
1: Yeah, they're very dangerous. What? Artifacts.
0: What a what a rich person thing to do.
1: I know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyways, I'm sorry we're not there yet. I jumped ahead. Well, we both kind of did. Oh, the opening line for this chapter. If there's one thing more stressful than being attacked by ravenous ghost wrath, it's finding that you're going to a fancy party and you have got and you haven't got a thing to wear. And I'm with Lucy on this one. As much as I love a, a wedding, it's still stressful.
1: Yeah, I highlighted this too, and, it, and my note is just real. Yeah, uh, it's true.
0: And to this day, I'm I'm not hundred percent sure what a cocktail dress is like. Yeah, what? I've
1: never I've never understood it.
0: Uh, a friend of mine had like a cocktail dress birthday party many years ago at this point, And we did a bunch of research into it then. But I I don't remember. And it was like it was not very clear. But I think you are not supposed to wear full length.
1: Oh, yeah, <clears throat> I, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. I could true. be wrong. I, I could be extremely wrong. Don't trust me.
1: Whenever I think of cocktail dress, though, it is something like. I I don't know. Like the word that comes to mind is slinky. Like something that's a little bit tighter, a little bit shorter than you would have, like a ball gown.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. Not no poof. Although unless no. unless it's short, right? Because you could have the poof ending at your knees. Hmm. Eh. I don't know. But men have it so fucking easy. Wear a suit. Oh, know? I know.
1: And the, this is even in this chapter. Yeah. I really like. Change yeah. change
0: your tie for a bow tie if needed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Lucy doesn't have this option. She doesn't. She also doesn't have the option to wear a uniform, which I really like. Yeah. That they're like, oh, you could just wear your uniform. And just like, yeah, Lockwood and Co. doesn't do that.
0: Oh, man. She also can't get drunk. Nope. Oh, that's like <laughs> my number two coping mechanism.
1: You go to a cocktail party with no cocktails. Yeah. But she goes out shopping. We don't see that at all. It's just delighted over. And she just comes back with uh, bags of clothes and shoes and then lockwood is like (laughs) she asks lockwood like what are you and george wearing and lockwood is like "Ah, i've got something somewhere yeah and then (laughs) later on he's like dressed perfectly yeah well i i really like that though because it's like it is like the male privilege like what you were talking about like oh yeah i've got slacks i've got a coat whatever you never have to update it if you're seen in the same cocktail dress twice it's like a faux pas kind of but it's a good thing if you're a man it's weird
0: uh, to be fair, if you have like the right group of friends, it's fine. Like I had two weddings this summer and I wore the same dress to both of them and it was with the same group of friends. And I was like, I'm wearing this dress. It was $300. I'm wearing it to both weddings. And everyone was like, yeah, yeah, it's nice. I'm like, great, cool. Well, that's good. So sometimes you just have to know good people. <laughs> One line here, Albert Joplin comes over to help George do some translating. <laughs> Lucy has line where she's like, I'd almost forgotten his existence. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this happens for the readers because they too had forgotten his existence.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. It totally is like a kind of insertion to be like, don't forget about this guy. This will be coming back because yeah. I think we have changed gears here and Joplin was not prominent in the summary that we got of events and Joplin will become prominent in the last two parts here. So yeah.
0: And then there's a bit where I think it's Joplin who says, like, you know, it's too bad that it'll have to go to Deeprack, the mirror will have to go to Deeprack for their scientists. And I don't know why, but I just feel like like that's one of those things that sparked off like an alternate universe in my head where it would be so interesting to see a story where Deeprack had the mirror and like it was a big bad because I can see that happening. Where they're like experimenting on it and getting so many different agents to look in it, and agents are disappearing. <laughs> you know,
1: I don't know. Yeah, recently retired agents or like Nightwatch kids. Or yeah, th- yeah,
0: right. Like I don't know. It just sparked in me because I can see Deepak, or at the very, if it ended up with Fitz, I can see Fitz going going rogue there and having some um interesting things happen.
1: There is a thing here with Joplin coming over that um, I've actually meant to mention this a few times, but we get it every time that we see Joplin in the story from the first time to the last time that like Joplin has gross dandruffy hair Mm. and he always has like it talks about a small gray cloud of particles floated loose from his hair, which is I really like this thing about Joplin because it's like it's very off putting for one thing. And I think it's there to kind of emphasize his bookishness, his nerdiness, like his social awkwardness. But it's actually in the context of the whole book, it's a clue because once you find out what that it's not dandruff, like that's not what's happening. Um,
0: Oh, you're right.
1: Yeah. I've never put that together. It's like it's doing double duty. Yeah. Uh, So when you reread the book, you're always like, oh, yeah. So it's really clever. Nice writing, I think.
0: Nice. Nice. Um, And this is the the bit where we get the whole multiple sources could make a window uh, Mm -hmm. conversation, which makes me feel better because I couldn't find it earlier when we were talking about it. I'm like, ah, next chapter. Um, Because George is talking about experimenting with the mirror and Lockwood immediately almost like shouts at at George about it. Like, don't be an idiot. This mirror kills people. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to have the reckless one be the voice of reason here. and Yeah. I think, yeah.
1: It also like fits in with his character. Like the more that you know about Lockwood, the more you could see like, oh, well, we should play nice with the ghosts and like look into this. And he's like, absolutely not. Yeah. Like there's d- a recklessness, yeah, exactly. but a line he won't cross.
0: Yes. And George is also usually the voice of reason. A lot of the time in, in between Lucy and Lockwood, because uh, Lucy's not great on the self-preservation either. Um, yeah. But here he's the one who's like, I want to look into it again. I think I could do it. I did it before. (laughs) It's like, no, you didn't. You idiot. (laughs) Yeah, you you,
1: glanced at it.
0: (laughs) Like, it's literally cursed, you know? (laughs) Anyways, Lucy gets fancied up.
1: Oh, we also have Joplin mentions that he wasn't ever able to track down the confessions of Mary Dulac. Right. Yes. And he's like, sorry about that. I don't think... Any library has it. Maybe the Fitz black library does, but uh, that's out of bounds for me. I can't access that.
0: I think he says it's out of
1: bounds for everyone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So yeah, then they all get dressed up to go. Even George finds a dinner jacket, which Lucy is shocked by. And then we have the scene where Lockwood gives Lucy the necklace. And I love this scene because it's absolutely not how you write this scene. Right? Like,
1: no, it's not. (laughs) They it's, do this in the show, too, when Lockwood like comes up the stairs and sees her. It's not you know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. the way
0: the the show does it a little bit more sort of stereotypical, I suppose, because it is a moment where he gives her the necklace,
1: you know, um, oh, the necklace. Yeah. But when he sees her in the dress, oh, yeah. it's not like it's not like, you know, like music and slow motion and yeah, all of that. It's just like, oh, hi. Yeah. Just it's us. No big deal.
0: Yeah. But I, I just love it because he's just like, George, you'll do whatever. Lucy, you look great. I do also love how, because um, sometimes we've seen in the past, Lockwood can be a bit of a dick, right? Like, especially yeah. with the whole forgetting money thing and making Lucy pay for everything and all those sorts of things, which really bothers me. Uh, not from a gendered perspective, but from a he's a head of the agency perspective. Yeah. Um, but I really like how twice in this chapter he tells Lucy how great she looks and he, he doesn't say it. Like as a big deal or anything, he's just like, you look great. And it's it's just one of the parts where he does seem very mature.
1: Yeah, I agree. Anyways, es- especially after like Lucy describes her own dress and how she feels in it and about it. Yeah. She's not very happy with it. She feels like it makes her arms look fat and her feet are too big and she doesn't like the way it sits on her stomach and and all of this stuff. And she's kind of sarcastic about it to herself mm-hmm. the, I, I love that passage i think oh, it's me really too. really good yes
0: it is good that is one of the like teenage girl yes uh self-confidence things that stroud got extremely right that yeah. whole thing is great um but yeah no so back to the necklace he just gives it to her and moves on and she's just like what where did you get this and
1: he's like something i had
0: here you go <laughs> close your mouth when you wear it you'll look more elegant
1: right <laughs> right I think so. We talked about this in the show and and even rereading it now, I really yeah, I just feel like I don't know, like this is like an autism thing for me. I'm just like, yeah, it's not a big deal. It doesn't matter to him to give her this thing. And it's maybe that's just a bad reading on my part. And it and it also feels like he's trying to like it's a genuine like I thought this would go with your dress, but it doesn't matter to me
0: thing. The thing is, the necklace, uh, I've always assumed the necklace belonged to his sister, but upon reflection, I don't think it ever actually says that. Uh, but either way, it belonged to a family member. And we know that his dead family is quite a big motivator for him and and just a source of loss and, and trauma. So yeah. giving her this necklace and like he doesn't ask for it back, right? Yeah, like, he he's gives not, it to her. He's not yeah. saying this is a loan. He's like saying here, this is for you. So... But he doesn't at all make a big deal out of it. But I'm sure right. he did before giving it to her, you know, like he agonized over that and then very, very specifically didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think. Yeah, I think because I'm not seeing one half of that coin, my brain is just like. You're just no, trusting the, sig- the
0: teenage boy.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And, and the narration from the teenage girl. I'm not like, saying I'm on. right about
1: it. It's yeah. just like my brain just goes like, this is how the signifier works. Like, it's not you. There's nothing in here that says it's just like I'm just like George where they're like Flo Bones is like a, a nice, elegant girl. Like, oh, of course yeah. she is. Because <laughs> you, you, that's what you told me. Yeah. So
0: no, I I really love this scene because it feels so true to the characters and also feels like. I I wonder what his editor said about this scene like you don't want to make this a moment between them and he's like no no it's too soon for that.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I th- yeah. yeah, I think you're I think you're right about all this. It does make me wonder if he might have gone out and gotten her a necklace but never said anything about it if it's not from uh his family at all. But uh, I, genu- I don't feel like he wouldn't do that. I also feel like he wouldn't.
0: And this is uh after Book one, where he gives her the uh, Annabelle Ward necklace to wear. This is the second instance of the necklaces that Lockwood gives to Lucy.
1: The necklaces thing. Yeah. And there's no moment here of him like going behind her and like latching it. He's just like, he just hands it to her. Here you go. Bye. We got to go, guys. Come on.
0: Dex is waiting. I feel like he left the door in front of them after that and had like a get it together, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, had I did it. Good job. Yeah. So they get to the party and they... I I love that there's like a whole red carpet type situation, but they are very quickly ignored. Yeah.
1: (laughs) They're just ushered in by the other children who work there. Yeah. And they're like, just go in. It's a purple carpet for lavender. I like that whole thing.
0: And then we are sort of... The inside of Fitz is described to us and... We hear a little bit about how Lucy's interview here went, because she remembers that was the last time she was here. We're showing the relic columns, and we get this bit where Lucy realizes that it's weird in the party because there are so many adults out after dark, which you don't normally see.
1: Yeah, which is nice um, for the grown-ups, anyway. It, it's a real show of like power and wealth.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so when they do walk in, Lucy says she feels so out of place. But Lockwood immediately says, you look terrific. You might have been born to this. And that's just part two of him being just like really good to Lucy here,
1: which I like. I think he's being honest, too. Yeah, absolutely. I like this because it it does offer us a certain amount of irony within the text that you know, maybe don't trust Lucy on everything that she says about herself. Yes. And others.
0: That that I think is why I like that passage about how she going on about how she doesn't feel comfortable in the dress, because immediately Lockwood was like, no, you look great. And yeah. or not. No, because she he doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Um, And that's probably why it rings so true, because most people, when they look when they get dressed up, they do look very nice, you know, like but you can you only ever notice the. The things you wish
1: were different. And he looks so sharp and perfect to her. Yeah. That like all of that is skewed too. like just don't. Yeah. Just don't take the whole voice as a hundred percent accurate. I I really like when they're so when they're walking past all of this stuff and, you know, Lucy's like it's only like a paragraph long, which I think is really, really smart when they're looking at all the relics and and things like that. It talks about like all these legendary heroic moments that are familiar from our school days. Like they learn about this stuff when they're doing agency training. I just love that. Like all of that stuff is mentioned as if it's like totally known. We understand all the references Mm -hmm. and then it's just left alone and we move on from it. and, And the party happens because like, that is I think the perfect kind of way to do lore just to, you know, like give us enough that we understand that this world has a history and that the characters have a context for all that stuff. But we're not going to bog down in the like, and this is exactly what happened. And like, so it becomes tedious. It's just kind of tantalizing instead. It gives like the narrative some energy and uh, depth. I just think it's it's really, really well done because it's not very long at all. And we just get right back under the skin of the characters and like how they feel about all of this and not into the like the adventures of Marissa Fitz 50 yeah. years ago.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Also, I, they mentioned that L- Lucy's about to hit somebody with her sword. And I just, I can't imagine being <laughs> at a crowded party with a sword. Like I would be the amount of food that I would accidentally knock onto the floor is I would not be invited back.
1: You know, I think I've talked about this before where, when I was in high school, I think we've probably edited that out though. Um, <laughs> I, I was in uh, I was in ROTC, which is like a junior like military club. It was mainly to get out of um, doing gym class. If you were in this thing, you didn't have to do gym class. And but it was like for the Navy. uh, So we would have to dress up in uniforms once a week. And then we would have a ball every year where we would, you know, go to this thing in uniforms. And I did my senior year like have to wear a sword to this thing. Cause it was part of like, I was the like highest ranked person. And so you have a sword. I was like a commander or whatever, dumb shit. And uh, yeah, it would knock into stuff all the time. Like you turn around, if you're not used to wearing a sword, it is a dumb fucking thing to wear to a party.
0: This is like a whole new you. I, <laughs> like, I think you have mentioned this before, at least to me. I don't know if it's been on any of our podcasts. But still, the in uniform with a sword, Alan. Yep, yep.
1: <sighs> I was drill team commander. I was rifle team commander. I was. Hey, uh... this is the most American shit I've ever heard. Yeah,
0: like let's pre-recruit people into the army while they're still in high school. There's oh perks. my god, you get I had gym a gym class. Oh my god,
1: I had a full till I know right. It's in in southern Louisiana. Like I did not want to be outside and run track in southern Louisiana. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, They yeah, and I had like a full tilt scholarship to Annapolis, the uh, the Navy Academy to go right into officer training and all this stuff because of this program. And I never took it because uh, because the military is fucking evil. But like it was like a good way to get out of uh, gym class. So, yeah, it's it's a Ah. great way to recruit children uh, to die for your. Uh, profit if you're a politician
0: so then they talk about who they're gonna go talk to yep and one of the options is of course the new head of fairfax iron (laughs) yeah but they're like "Hmm, probably shouldn't (laughs) go talk to her since we killed her (laughs) uncle and one of them is like she doesn't know that yeah george (laughs) is like it's
1: fine that she doesn't know
0: yeah and log was like no but there's such a thing as good form
1: (laughs) 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 that's great I like all the Yeah. All the options don't seem great uh, for them to talk to anybody, but it does tell you that like this party isn't just other agents and stuff like that. This is a real who's who of the entire like ghost fighting world. Yeah. But they see like, Oh, it's this person. It's that person. They're all the most important people like in their world. And then they're like, and Kips, how did he get in? This party isn't as exclusive as they want us to believe.
0: I love their dedication to getting in all the quips that they can.
1: Yeah. What I really like there, too, is that Kipps seems to do the exact same thing to them. They can't hear it, but like he points and then oh, everybody yeah. around him laughs. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they really are like the foil for each other. They're just making the same joke.
0: Also, I just want everybody to appreciate that I successfully said quips around saying Quill and Kipps like no, thank you. Never doing that again.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to, like, spotlight it, but I did notice it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I appreciate <laughs> that. Um. So then Miss Penelia, Penel, fuck me after there I just bragged, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Classic.
0: Miss Penelope Fitz comes over to chat with the Lockwood and Cope, and it's not as good of a conversation as the show gives us, mm-hmm. which I get. I I love what they did in the show. Like, that is probably my favorite bit in the show. It's so good. I've I've said that about many bits, I know. But it's just nice that we we get this super nice, very welcoming Penelope Fitz here. And then next chapter, we see a different Penelope Fitz.
1: Yeah, I really like that. How it kind of colors out her character. Yeah. And we, yeah, we don't, it's not just um, this forward facing to the public persona we get to see like a lot of depth to this supporting character and again Mm -hmm. i just think stroud's character work is just like so much better than it strictly has to be on a mechanical level it's just really really good
0: um and then all of a sudden lockwood says they should go and uh, sneak into the black library and steal the book
1: my note is death wish
0: yeah, because even I think George says, you know, if somebody finds us, you could say goodbye to the agency, which you know yeah. just spent a whole book trying to save the agency, and now they're willing to risk it just to sneak into it. Well, Lockwood is willing to risk it just to sneak into a library
1: on a whim. Yeah, this isn't—it's crazy.
0: But and as they're sort of seeing if it's possible, like just talking it out to see if it would be possible. Uh, I don't want to point out anything in particular because you still haven't read book five, but there's some stuff that we revisit in book five comes up in conversation, just talking about all the fit stuff.
1: Yeah. So I do you think because of that, that he has those elements worked out or does he do you feel like he went back and brought elements forward?
0: Um, I do feel like. OK, well, I guess I'm just going to talk about it because he has George very specifically say, see that elevator that goes straight up to Penelope Fitz's rooms. And that feels very specifically like, specifically like he's setting up that elevator.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he. So at some in some level, he's like thought about the Fitz compound and its layout and yeah. what's happening there.
0: And that at one point, our characters are going to take that elevator up.
1: Yeah, so he wants to mention its existence just to establish it. Yeah, I agree. He seems like a a world planner to me, but not like a careful plotter, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it's not a knock against him. I think this is the one of the best ways to do it, is to like, he has a sense of where he's going. He has a really strong sense of his world. And then he just kind of lets the characters loose. And follows the rules that he's established for himself in it. And it, uh, it works out really, really well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the chapter, in almost like a very distinct opposite, although we've talked about that a lot in this book, in this book particularly, how a lot of the way that they approach things are opposite how they did it in the show. Lockwood says burglary is more fun than socializing. Yeah. <laughs> Which like in the show, he was excited to go
1: and schmooze. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, oh, that's interesting.
1: There was a date here that's dropped that like really fixes the whole narrative in a way that I was like, oh, um, where, you know, Penelope is talking to them and talks about my grandmother right, yeah. and Tom Rotwell located the body at midnight on Midsummer Night's Eve in 1962. And we're like in Midsummer. So this is like a very like... Same time of year Mm -hmm. in 1962, we're talking about like almost, you know, exactly 50 years in the past kind of a thing from the publication date of the book and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. All that stuff is pretty interesting to me that he gives like a specific date because I feel like we've never gotten any specific date like that.
0: No, I don't think we have either. Not before this. But we have always gotten that 50 years.
1: Yeah, they say that a lot. They say that a lot. Um, But it's like, you know, it's almost safer to be like 50 years from when. And I think when you're a kid, 50 years seems like a really long time. Not that 50 years isn't a long time, but it does seem when you're a kid that like 50 years from now, you would be so ancient that you would probably just be dead. (laughs) You know, like it's there's always a thing of like Penelope Fitz did this all this stuff in her teens 50 years ago. And like, of course she's gone and dead because that was 50 years ago. And like right, that's yeah. forever. But like when you really think about it, that's not that long. People definitely live longer than that. So like, that's like a whole thing too. That
0: Oh yeah. I'm, I'm actually glad that the show made Marissa Fitz Penelope's mom, not her grandmother. Right. Because that to me makes more sense in the timeline. Like both of them are dead.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but then we're on to chapter twenty two. Lockwood and co. successfully steal the confessions of Mary Dulac from the Black Library without being detected. A big change from the show, which I've talked a lot about how I didn't like in the show. So I'll try not to bring it up too much here, but I make no promises. <laughs> <laughs> the um the chapter art is the box that Penelope gives to Gabriel, I think she calls him. Yeah. With the harp
1: on the cover. Yeah.
0: The symbol, as it were.
1: We've seen the symbol in the previous book. Uh,
0: Yes, but the characters haven't made that connection yet.
1: They haven't figured that one out. Uh,
0: But we get a little description of the library, which is a lot of books, but also a lot of artifacts and relics, which is interesting. (laughs) There's some lungs in here. Yeah. (laughs) But the relics thing is interesting because we've spent so much time with Barnes. Uh, talking about how dangerous relics are and how they can't just be left around even if it's in a safe thing because you know people are stupid and blah 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 and then we just walk into the, you know the interior of fits you know the the uh, interior but like the, you, you know you're in like ghost hunting central and like yeah we just leave relics fucking everywhere
1: yeah it's <laughs> I, I love that about it because it's like such a show of power. Like this is how power works, right? Yeah. It says, here's the rules and now the rules don't apply to me. Look, look how powerful I am. It's always how it is. Yeah, this I imagine this thing, it's really well described and I imagine it to be much bigger than the space that we get in the show, which is fine. Like,
0: yeah, it, it's definitely like two floors
1: here. Yeah. It has this mosaic on the floor that's like the rearing unicorn thing mm. that's their symbol and stuff it it's unicorn yeah yeah i just i love the description it talks about like a domed glass ceiling it's like oh just a really beautiful library i love how dark it is it's just his description is it's understated and it's so easy to picture
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it serves the entire scene that they're in here really really well
0: and it is also very like we have money yes And <laughs> we blew yeah. it on a Fancy fucking
1: library. It's the right choice out of all the things in this place. Like, yeah, do this.
0: But also, like, it implies that everywhere else has money, also. Like, if you know, like, I don't even know how to describe what I'm saying, but they have this one fancy ass room. So I assume everywhere else in this place also made with money.
1: I think George talks about that at one point. He's like, yeah, it looks nice out here, but the place where we had to work wasn't fancy at all. (laughs) Like, Like it was and I've I've had experience with that, like working in hospitality and like I I worked in a uh, place called Aspen, Colorado, which is like, you know, very I waited on some very famous people and met like incredibly rich people. And the hotel that I worked at was beautiful, like incredibly beautiful. And then you go into the places where we lived and worked and did our job. And you can't imagine the narrow nightmare corridors with like flickering bad lights and piping. And like, we're just spending zero money on you. People is like, you know, like moving through rat warrens. And then you come out of a mahogany door into a, a beautiful hallway where the guests are and stuff like that. That's how I imagine the Fitz compound.
0: Interesting.
1: But this place is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Um, So they look up the catalog. They find that it does indeed have the confessions of Mary Dulac. They find the number and they go searching for it. And sort of just before they can find it, they hear a familiar woman's voice approaching with another man. And they all have to hide
1: very quickly. I find this whole thing the first time that I read it incredibly tense. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Very stressful. And then every time I've reread it, I it's a little bit I feel a little bit impatient because I know that nothing is really going to happen. I don't know how to reconcile that. Usually Stroud is better about when I'm rereading things. I like appreciate everything that's happening a lot more. And there is a lot of like groundwork being laid here Mm -hmm. for things later. And I do appreciate that. But there's really like nothing dramatic or exciting that happens other than what could happen but doesn't.
0: I guess, but I like that. Like I've mm-hmm. said, again, I've said this so many times, but I like when your team is competent and gets away with shit. And also, I that's think, a good point. You know, I, I, um, I hate like in the show when they're discovered, it makes no sense because obviously, then Penelope would know that they stole from her library. And so how how are they going to reconcile that? Mm-hmm. Like, they pull the alarm. Th- like, how how are they still going to have a good relationship with Fitz going forward?
1: Mm-hmm. How does nobody know? how? And right. it is a thing that Stroud has done over and over. Like, I've always pointed this out, that, like, you're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to do it the way that they do in the show. You know, quote unquote, supposed to. Yeah. But he does give them wins all the time like this. And it's I think it's a signature part of the way that he tells stories.
0: Yeah. I also just think it makes sense. Like they're underdog because of, you know, hmm. their situation, not because they're not good.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it pulls drama out of a different thing. Yeah. Um, I, d- I do find it just a little bit like when I'm rereading it, I'm like, yeah, Nothing. Nothing happens here. I mean, that's it, not
0: the point of the scene. The Like, it's not... The drama isn't the point... The tension isn't the point of the scene. The point of the scene is you get this information, you get the Orpheus Society drop. Right. You know, you get the symbol and that there's some people doing experiments and that probably involves relics. And this isn't part of the plot of this book. This is something we're coming back to. Right? And, so it, it just happens and then we have to move on from it.
1: And it also... It, it, part of the point is that she has some lungs with no psychic charge at all.
0: Yeah, just some fucking lungs.
1: It's just oh my weird. god,
0: <laughs> just some lungs. You know, maybe they belong to her mom, and she likes looking at them for.
1: <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, reasons. is it a family heirloom yeah.
0: or something? She's just really mm. mad at her mom. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, the guy here is um, described as a dumpy middle-aged man. I think this is why in the show I was confused about the pirate that she's converting, conversing with. And I was like, that doesn't seem like the same guy at all, but I just assume that he is an amalgam of characters.
0: He's kind of two different people combined. Right. One of them being this Gabriel
1: dude. Yeah. But we do get the drop of the Orpheus society. Orpheus of course is the ancient Greek king of myth who went into Hades kingdom to retrieve his dead bride and successfully left the underworld. Although he did not get his bride out, Uh, made it all the way to the doorstep, but failed at the last minute. She failed at the last second. But I like that, you know, it's like the symbol is stamped on this thing and uh, it's like a little harp or something. Orpheus famously used the lyre, Mm -hmm. which is a harp like instrument. And he was such a good musician. That's, Part of how he gets down into the underworld successfully and gets back out. So. Yeah,
0: I guess. I guess the point of naming yourself the Orpheus Society isn't that he failed, but that he went to the underworld, and he got out successfully.
1: So and that he, he he did so through. I, I this is how I read it anyway. Mm. That he did so because of like technical expertise of like I'm really good at playing this instrument using right. this thing.
0: Yeah. But it it does imply that they also want to find a thing that will let them cross to the other side and come back successfully.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Which we've yeah, this book is great for setting all that that stuff up.
1: It's just yeah, it's a really excellent illusion. And I don't think that you lose anything by not understanding it. No, it's just like elegant.
0: And it's also not something like like when reading this book the first time I know who Orpheus is and everything. But I wouldn't I wouldn't have made all those connections right then. Yep. You know what I mean? But yes, I just would have thought, yeah, that sounds cool. Y- you know, but as you read, you're like, oh, fuck, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And it's also what rich people do is like, oh, I'm going to reference this classic literature. Yep, exactly. Just, yeah. But then you're like, oh, it actually does make sense. Yeah.
0: Anyways, there is some worrying bits, but they do successfully hide and are not discovered. By Gabriel or Penelope. They overhear the conversation and then they get out of the
1: library with the book all as well. Yep. And they don't have to pull a fire alarm or anything. No. Ghost alarm. They uh, they just go back and the band is playing.
0: And then they decide to leave because they have to go to their next appointment quite quickly. The, bur- the second burglary of the evening,
1: I guess. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> uh, but I guess stealing from criminals, you know, stealing from the people who stole it, that that's different.
1: No, that's a good point.
0: So, but on their way out, Barnes stops them, and we learn that Kipps is the biggest narc to ever narc. <laughs> what? This, I can't stand this. This is like, this is like... <laughs> You you made the rules of a race with someone, and then immediately went to tell the teacher that they were cheating, even though they weren't. Uh huh. I want to wring his neck here.
1: Yeah. So he's been telling Barnes everything that's happening, and Barnes is like, "So when are you gonna give me these papers that I'm hearing so much about that you're not sharing with your partner?" And uh, Lockwood's like, "Oh hey man, look we're we're at a party. This isn't really the time." I'll yeah. give them to you tomorrow,
0: and we immediately know that the book is ending tonight.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we've named this part after it. In fact, yeah, uh, one of the most underlined parts of this book happens right here, where Lockwood is like, "Hey, we have to leave because George turns into a pumpkin if you're out too late." And as you can see, he's already starting to swell up into a pumpkin. <laughs> uh, so, that <laughs> joke. Wow. Nice.
0: I literally <clears> glanced over that when I was reading it for this because um, he says George turns into a pumpkin and I have a friend who says that all the time, like, sorry, I turned into a pumpkin, got to go. And so I just I just accepted that as normal. And my eyes just glanced right over the fat joke.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is normal, but then Lockwood turns it into a fat joke, yeah. I think. Terrible. This is yeah. good, though, too, because I think it keeps the tension going. They're like, oh, we'll just leave. No problem. But then yeah. it is a problem.
0: Yeah, I just it makes me hate Kip so much. And I don't understand an author who knows that they're going to, you know, have this guy be their friend. But first has to turn him into the world's worst narc. <laughs> I
1: I don't know that he knew that. I don't I don't know about that.
0: Oh, maybe. Think, he, yeah, that's fair. Maybe he didn't know at this point because that's just dirty. Like it does
1: <laughs> fit his character so much. I, it does.
0: But it's. Like how, what I don't understand is even if he wins at this point, he hasn't won. Yeah. You know, so what's the fucking point? I've sworn a lot this episode. I'm sorry if people care. I don't know. <laughs> but what, what is the point of winning that way? Cause it, just bury yourself, buddy. God. Anyways, I they think, get out and then well, we meet. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you have anything to say? I just want to skip ahead to this cab driver, the best character in the book.
1: Oh no, I agree. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think... I think it was um I think Plato says it doesn't matter if you win by a minute or a mile, winning is winning. I think I think but that was Plato. I
0: get that. I get that in a race or whatever. But this the winning is showing up Lockwood, right? It's mm-hmm. not getting the mirror first. That's just the measurement or whatever. You know, that's that's the mile, right? That's yeah. not the win. The win is get is and if you're using Lockwood to get there, then you haven't gotten there first. You haven't done no, the thing. No, I agree.
1: Oh, no, wait. That's Dom from Fast and the Furious. That's who that was.
0: Oh, of um, course. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes more sense. Anyways, so they leave. Um, Kipps decides to leave too, obviously, because he's going to follow them because he has never yep. had an original thought in his goddamn life. Um, <laughs> and they're like, okay, great. So we can't just, I think they were going to walk over to a station where they have their uh, stuff locked up in a locker not anyways so they're like okay well we'll get in a cab and so Kipps gets in a different cab and immediately Lockwood's like Portland row and then he's like look I'm going to give you a 50 go to Portland row but let us out around the corner first and quickly and the dude's like for 50 for 50 I can I can crash into somebody I can you, you <laughs> want me to slam on my brakes and stop him you want me to do all these things and he's like no no just just let us out around the corner and then drive to Portland. <laughs> the dude's like, "Who do you want me to kill?"
1: This guy, I, I, yeah, I want him in every book. I want yeah. him to join the team and be their driver. I think they do eventually get kind of a driver guy, sort of. Yeah, this guy. I mean, speaking of this guy, is is fan cast in my head as Vin Diesel. That's that's who's oh, driving yeah, his Yeah, that'd cast. be so
0: good. Vin <laughs> Diesel doing the world's worst fake English accent.
1: Yes, like a Cockney <laughs> yeah. bad accent. Oh my god. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what do I know? Maybe Vin Diesel's got a great English accent. You know, I don't want to judge him from the movies he's done. Sure Turns he's,
1: out he's yeah. from England. We don't know yeah. anything.
0: <laughs> Turns out he's like this really great actor, but he
1: just likes doing crappy movies. He loves, yeah, he loves action movies. Um, yeah, he's the best. I I want him in every book. This guy is great. He's like, no, that don't don't do that. Just drop us off, please. Yeah.
0: When Lockwood is saying that's too much, actually, you know, you've got a problem.
1: Again, that I think that's just Stroud, like making the character so much better than it needs to be. And it it makes the book delightful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I love this guy. I don't know anything about him, but I would die for him. (laughs) And then they go to meet Flo just before sneaking into the auction. And it happens very similarly to the book, except, of course, George is with them because they're not split up. Right. When I said the book, I meant the show. You know what I'm saying? In that they're it walking exactly along. Exactly
1: like the book. That's right. Um, yeah, she reaches out she reaches out it's and likes jump like, scare.
0: Yeah. The second of clothes, jump scares in these
1: She's good at that. Yeah. Um <clears throat> The other most highlighted thing here is when they change their clothes and uh and pack everything away, Lucy says, I couldn't part with the little necklace Lockwood had given me though, so I kept it on under my t shirt. Right. And people seem to like that for some reason because it's adorable and lock Lyle and yes.
0: <laughs> I it does make sense though that you wouldn't want to leave it behind. Yeah. Especially like in a train station, I think. Because who know I don't think those lockers are gonna be the most secure. But that's not why. No, but of yes. course not. Of course not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for making it logical and not cute. <laughs> um and that is that, I believe.
1: Yep. Next time we'll be going into the Winkman burglary situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Next mm-hmm. two
1: chapters and finishing out this part.
0: More thievery. Mm-hmm. Everyone's favorite thing, and I have no idea what that chapter art is, but that's for next week. That's a future Caitlin's problem.
1: Oh yeah, that's how you build a drain pipe in England. That's what that is.
0: Oh, is that what that is?
1: Yeah, it's an important part of their. Ascent right. Yeah, I probably would
0: have gotten it when I read it, but like, it looks like a branch with a lantern on it. <laughs> All right. Did you have a best joke?
1: I mean, I think it's the even though it's not strictly a set them up, knock them down joke. I think mm. the cabbie is so oh yeah delightful. Yes. I just love that whole thing.
0: Yeah, I wasn't even thinking of him as a joke, but now that you say that, yeah, he's he's that's my favorite too. But because I wasn't thinking of it, I was thinking of the. The flow jump scare. The first one.
1: That's really, really good. Yeah. There is a, a classic Stradian joke that we didn't talk about where mm. there's like Penelope Fitz is like, and this ghost did this and that ghost did this when she's like pointing out all her little trophies on the wall. Mm-hmm. And like a, she says something terrible about like a sticky blah, blah, blah ghost. And then they're like, oh, do you want? This like chicken appetizer thing. Oh, and yeah. George was chicken like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I do.
0: But both Lockwood and Lucy are like, we're, we're, good. we're good. No. <laughs> uh, most punk rock. It, I mean, it's got to be the book. The st- they're at a fancy party uh, with the rich people. And they're like, well, let's steal something while we're here.
1: Yeah. Lockwood's just like souvenir time. Yep. Yeah, of course. And they pull it off. Yeah. There is a moment in there. I was going to ask you, but it, it's clear to me that you don't think so. Mm-hmm. But there is a moment where, like, the guy leaves and everything and Penelope is on her way out and she stops in the middle of the room and just looks around. And I felt like when that happened and I was rereading it, I was like, oh, she knows they're there, but she doesn't care. Like, it. it she feels like it doesn't I mess see. with her power or anything. It doesn't matter to her.
0: I... Could get behind that, them knowing that they're there. But I wouldn't think she doesn't care. I would think, yes, this is what I need Lucy to be doing.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, that's what, I, but by not care, I mean, like, it, this does not harm me or my plans, Yeah, you know.
0: I, or even so far as to say, this fits right into my plans.
1: Mm-hmm, hmm Yeah, so I really like that moment because... It's a good when you're reading it for the first time, it's a very tense moment to be like, oh, no, they almost did it. Are they going to, you know, not make it? Mm-hmm. And then she walks out anyway. And you're like, Whew, like, that's a really good way to do that anyway. But then on rereading it, I was like, oh, that moment's super interesting. Does she know? And it's just like hubris or it just fit, like you said, it just fits into her plans. I was yeah. like, intriguing.
0: Yeah, I, I do like that. I, I'd forgotten that she pauses, but it could also just be Stroud wanting to put in a tense moment. Yeah. It's good, though. It's good old Penelope Fitz. I, you know, I love Penelope Fitz. She's the best, really. Yeah, she's uh, great. She's great for what she, like. like, I sound like I'm being sarcastic because I always sound that way, but <laughs> I, I genuinely think she's a
1: very well-written character. No, she's great, yeah.
0: But I think that is everything for this week. So if anyone out there wanted to reach out to us, you can follow the show on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast. You can follow me in particular on Twitter at Inferior
1: Caitlin. And you can reach out to us with emails, send them to contact at hologrammedia.com or go to our homepage hologrammedia.com and scroll down to the contact form.
0: And remember to not skip step 12 when assembling your own bone glass.